Hello and welcome to this week's Market Thinkers discussion. My name's Jamie Nemsis and I'll be joined by my business partner, Drew Meredith and Phil Stranio from uh, Yarra Capital. Hello, Drew. Hello, Phil. Hey, Jamie. Hi, Jamie and Drew. Um, thanks for yep. giving me this opportunity. Great. No problem. Every week we bring insights from portfolio managers, CEOs, thought leaders and investment experts in the attempt to bring you, the investor, closer to the coalface. The coalface that Drew and our team sees every single day. For the new listeners, Waddle Partners is a fee-for-service based uh, Melbourne wealth management firm and as the name suggests, we manage wealth. Uh, essentially portfolios of individuals, retirees, trusts, funds, uh, and it, uh, a few other different types of pools of capital. We tailor portfolios to the client um, and what their risk appetite or return objective is and any overlay they might have like ESG. We use a whole heap of different investments from direct shares to managed funds to private investments. Um, essentially, this this business was founded by Austin Donnelly back in 1973. Austin had uh, owned uh, dealer's license number one in, in Queensland, and we think he was the first fee-for-service and independent advisor. Um, and we're very much the same now. In this session, we're happy to welcome Phil from Yarra Capital, a specialist fixed income uh, and credit um, manager, Phil is. Uh, he runs the Yarra Capital Absolute Credit Fund, and we've known Phil for about nine years. He's worked previously at VFMC, and for people that don't know, VFMC is Victoria's own sovereign fund. I think it's got in excess of 50-odd billion dollars, Phil. Um, no, I think 60-odd now. Yeah. $60 billion, $60 billion. <laughs> it's, it's rarely talked about. Um, in fact, Waddle Partners used to, uh, with VFMC, manage another government agency's money um, for three or four years. So we know Phil and his team really well. The idea of this session is to make sure that you guys are involved. So please ask questions throughout the session. Uh, I'll talk about what the session looks like. First, Drew will introduce how uh, we use this product within our portfolio and where it fits. I'll ask Phil, then I'll ask Phil 10 quick questions, quick fire questions, hopefully under a minute in total. And then we'll go into um, some explanation of what is the fund? How, how does Phil manage the fund? And some education around what is credit and what are the instruments that Phil has within his fund. As today is the 11th day, 11th month, we also pause for one minute um, at 11 o'clock and uh, pass our respects for for soldiers that fought for our nation. So, uh, Drew, do you want to just give us an intro of where we use Phil's Fund within our portfolio and, and what attracted us to using Phil's Fund? Well, thanks, Jamie. Uh, as we probably highlighted a few weeks ago with uh, another bond strategy, bonds are kind of misunderstood and underinvested in Australia, they, or they seem to still be. Now, in some global pension funds, they might have 40 to 50% in, in traditional bonds and credit, uh, whereas in Australia, most SMSFs can have as little as five or 10, but they're very, they're very straightforward. They're loans to businesses and governments. As Jamie said, Yarra is a bit, little bit different where, as, as the name suggests, they invest in credit. Uh, and I think we'll define that a bit later, but basically credit is just lending money to businesses rather than to governments or or other institutions. Uh, and in terms of why we added it, it's pretty simple. Uh, we're trying to replace lost income that we've seen over the last 12 uh, months or two years uh, from other parts of the portfolio. So last week, the RBA cut the cash rate to 0.1%, sent term deposits everywhere lower, You know, five years under 1% now. And NAB reduced its dividend yield, uh, which is now about 4%. Whereas credit, as Phil will discuss, uh, we can get anywhere from, I think, 3 to 7% in income, depending on, on credit ratings, with substantially less uh, volatility and capital risk. And I think the big difference there is uh, that the payments that come on credit and bonds uh, are not discretionary, like a dividend that can be changed at, at the decision of a board. Um, the second purpose, of course, is getting in diversification uh, away from... Uh, it, across different companies and across different parts of the capital structure, which we'll also go into a bit later. Um, we found, why we found Yarra, I think is experience is key in, in bond and credit markets. And as Jamie mentioned, I think, can I call you a lifer in credit, Phil? 
you spent most of your career in bonds and credit. No, I think I think I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I think the, the, the white the white hair will probably prove that too. So, so who you know is just as important as as what you know. I think, or, or maybe the, yeah, they, they both have an important role in in credit. So we'll go to Jamie with the the quick questions. Okay, here we go, Phil. Uh, Ten quick questions. Um, one, two, three, or four word answers, please. Um, what's the best stock or investment you have personally bought? The, uh, funny enough, credit security, um, the, the NAP HAs, um, which are the NAP Perpetual. Um, Bought them at a discount, yeah. I assume? We were trading as low as in the 70s back in March, April, and that's, uh, of course, to redeem them at some stage next year at 100. So, pretty good return. What's the investment decision that you most regret over your career? Sold my townhouse in 2009. Yeah, made a tidy profit, but uh, <laughs> left plenty on the table. <laughs> Name one belonging from your youth you still wish you had today. Uh, my security blanket, um, walking around the <laughs> kit, uh, would have come in handy in March, April. Sure. It would have been great. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza? Uh, Italian heritage. So I think you know the answer to that one. It's going to be a definite no. <laughs> So let's imagine you're retired today and you can only hold one stock or one investment for the mm -hmm. whole of your retirement. What would it be? Uh, I think anything for soft commodity uh, related. So um, you certainly look at the Australian market, you look at the burgeoning Asian middle class, um, you know, demand for Australian foodstuffs and the like, um, something like a select harvest or a tassel with that kind of um, fundamental underpinning. Yeah, got it. What is the best piece of business advice you've ever been, you've ever received? Uh, the power of compounding, stay invested. So, you know, um, I think a lot of people have claimed that, but um, I think Warren Buffett's my go-to on that one. Yep. Best investment for Armageddon, gold, crypto, cash, government bonds? Uh, definitely gold, because um, it can't be replicated or, or printed away. Okay, the best read you, you can recommend? Uh, the book uh, I read uh, a couple of summers ago called, called Lost Connections by an author called uh, Yain Hari um, basically looked at um, the, the epidemic of depression and anxiety in this technological phase where um, I think we're all so connected, but we're really disconnected because we don't really have these kind of face-to-face -face meetings. And funny enough, 2020, um, not many of us have face-to-face -face meetings, have we? Yeah, so, good point. Yeah. Must read it. Best region to invest today, US, Asia, Europe or Australia? Oh, I'd be pro-appeal here, but I definitely think Australia. I mean, if you look at Australia, the fact that we, it took a pandemic to give us a recession after 30 years. Yep. Um, I think the other thing that's in our favour is that we're still a relatively young country. Um, we've got this massive uh, natural endowment of, of, of resources mm. that um, gets spread across 24 million people, and that in itself provides a real um, stability to, to economic growth, which you don't necessarily have elsewhere in the world. A great answer, Phil. Uh, and the last one, the the one red flag for all investments? Uh, uh, inconsistent messaging from management. So yep. um, we often get the occasions where you get management that um, will tailor their message uh, depending on who you're talking to. Um, a lot of the times they'll, they'll tell equity investors one thing and debt holders the other. Um, mm. Obviously that, that's a clear no-no for us. Yeah, that's interesting. So thanks for those questions, but maybe that's a lead on question. Um, Yarra Capital has uh, equities and has fixed income. So do you use the, your analysts on both sides to assess the investments that you're going into or is it just your analysts that you have access to? No, I mean, we, one of the key advantages of Yarra and why it was attractive for me to, to leave VFMC with the strategy that I ran there and come to Yarra was um, the ability to actually leverage off the that the, the fundamental research went on in Yarra. Uh, you know, yeah. the fact that we, we're not just a, a five-person fixed income team, but rather we're part of a broader 18-person uh, investment team when you include uh, the bodies in the equities team. Yeah. Uh, and we do a, a truckload of fundamental research uh, into Australian corporates. Um, uh, and that gives us a unique opportunity to kind of construct those portfolios, uh, only focusing on where it makes sense to invest. Can you give us a bit of background on, and Drew, I'm stealing your thunder here, but uh, it's a bit, a bit of background on Yarra. Yarra is not a name that's been around for 30 years. So, so can you just give so, us some background about Yarra Capital? So, so Yarra Capital um, is uh, the old Goldman Sachs Asset Management. 
So it was a, a management buyout in 2016. Yep. Uh, and formulated in January 2017. So there's a, there's a long heritage, a Goldman Sachs heritage. Um, and before that, JB Weir, um, that uh, extends, you know, you know, multiple decades. Um, so that heritage came across um, and um, certainly I joined uh, in May 2017. And had a very institutional focus originally. Was it a lot of um, managing for pension funds and industry yeah. funds? Yeah, certainly more institutional, but we, we are um, obviously um, increasing our efforts in the retail space. Yeah. yeah I think, right. uh, do we go from the, the top, Jamie? Go from the top. Can you, can you, yeah, can you, talk, can you just talk us through generally credit as an asset class? Uh, and, and, you know, we saw... I think bond price or government bond prices spiked something like twenty basis points yeah. uh, uh, yesterday. So compared, mm-hmm. what we're what you're investing into compared to a traditional government bond? Yeah. Okay. Positive. So I mean, the, the, the probably the simplest way to explain credit to um, to, to you know, the retail audience is is that what we're trying to do is basically rather than you putting giving you know, funding the banks in return deposit uh, and letting the banks earn the spread. Uh, what you're doing here is giving money to managers like us um, to basically uh, go and earn the spread for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's probably the simplest way of doing it. Uh, rather than you um, putting it to a term deposit, which right now is not much, um, uh, you basically putting it to a fund like ours. Um, so we can go and lend it to corporates and, and, and earn that spread that the bank would typically make. So like the mortgage uh, rates at three percent, and and they're paying us in a term deposit 0. 0.7. So co- correct, two and a half percent disappears. That's correct, absolutely. So we're cashing that, and that's and that's what we do every day of the week. Um, how big's that? How big's the market for credit in Australia? So so to two in our opportunity set in terms of the multi sectors that we look at, it's a two trillion dollar opportunity set. So it's roughly the same size as the ASX. Um, yep. So it's, it's, it is very, very substantial and we have got um, ample opportunity to grow and find those risk-adjusted returns that provide that defensive income for, for clients. Yeah, and you're, you're, the fund invests into some private and public credit? Correct, yeah. So the, the fund has got access to private debt. Uh, it is capped at roughly 20%. So we can um, manage that broader liquidity requirements to provide clients with substantial liquidity. But being in a position where we can pick the eyes out of the private debt market as well and have it as, a, as an active part of the sleeve, be able to uh, accrue some of the illiquidity premiums available in that market um, to, to boost the carry and, and, and generate the defensive income at highest there. And private compared to public. So there's no, is there an exchange for bonds where you can buy and sell them or? Yeah, so uh, really the, the difference between private and public, the way, the way I put it is anything, anything public is, is effectively traded over the counter or ASX. So trade on the ASX or through Austroclear. Um, the private debt space is, is more traded on a bespoke basis. So it does trade, it's just not as liquid. Uh, yeah. So you, as long as you, you, you're conscious of that um, and you're getting paid for that, that less liquidity, um, and it's a part of your portfolio, um, you can easily manage the liquidity requirements and get the spread picked up at client soon. So to take one step back for yeah. the listeners, mm-hmm. credit credit is just simply when a company, either public or private, wants to raise money or borrow money, and yeah. they've got a number of different ways they can borrow it. Um, and credit is essentially one of those one of those ways. So if you talk about company A and they want and their company A is worth ten billion dollars and they need to raise another billion, they might issue um, notes or or, or yeah. Yeah. some so, kind of note. Mm-hmm. And then essentially that company, yeah. if you buy those notes, that company owes you money. So to put it in, 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 in context, so I mean, most of the ASX listed names that um, yeah, your clients would be familiar with, um, you know, household names, um, you know, whether it be, say for instance, say someone like Coles or Woolworths or Ted Corp. Yeah, let's um, take Woolworths, for example. Yep. Woolworths, okay. So Woolworths would have... Um, bank debt, which they would get from the banks, yep. but they would also have capital markets debt. So they would issue bonds out in the market, okay? Yep. Uh, and they would pay uh, a spread, a credit margin over um, a bond rate to get an overall yield, okay? That's yep. available when you buy those bonds. 
Um, and so it's a viable place to return. And the other issue is, is that the market is growing and it's growing because the banks have been, um, the regulators after the global financial crisis decided that they needed to improve bank balance sheets. So they sort of constrained the bank's ability to actually um, uh, lend money to corporates. Um, and it basically means that they've been losing share and that share has been coming to the capital markets and it's been institutionalised. So it's good, people like us have more opportunities to actually put that money to work now. Um, and the other aspect of that is that the banks have also been told they need more capital, which also means that they've increased the supply of, of bank credit, um, higher yielding bank credit, which has also been a very attractive part of portfolios. So, for, so you don't for, need, sorry, you don't need more, want... more companies taking on more debt to, to have more opportunity. It's more that the, the banks are pulling out that's creating more opportunity. Well, great. I mean, we all know the size of bank balance sheets are huge, right? So, yeah. you know, it doesn't take much. So, you know, risk-weighted assets, the overall uh, assets that the banks have held in terms of risk-weighted terms, which is basically the stuff that we're investing in, has fallen by about 10 percentage points over the past, ever since the, the global financial crisis. Um, and that's basically uh, corporates that then needs to find access to debt elsewhere, and majority of that has gone into the capital markets. Okay, so just uh, <clears throat> so back to the Woolworths example, Woolworths yeah. would have what they call a capital stack. And at the top up here is when they can go to the bank and say, hey, we're Woolworths, we want to borrow a tranche of money. And they would pay a couple of percent on that. And then you keep going down from there. And and so, so the first tranche that the bank lent the money, if the company was to go bankrupt, they're first in line, right? They're, they're number one in line if the company goes bankrupt for all the assets. And then, then it goes down from there. So we're not, yeah. this fund essentially doesn't give us the bank debt. What it does is give us stuff further down on the pyramid, which we still think, or you still think, not we, you still think is um, very, very secure for the type of return that it's providing. So rather than 2%, it might provide six. And in terms of margin of uh, safety, rather than being first in line, it's third in line, for example. And that's essentially how we see it anyway. We see credit as being those ones not first in line, being second, third, fourth or fifth in line, and um, essentially offering a rate that's two, three or four times higher than the first senior secured. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's, it's the way I look at it is that we find value across all of those stacks. Yep. Okay, so you know, a, a roughly a quarter of the portfolio ranks parapasu with the banks. Yeah, okay. So, so we're first in line with the banks and about a quarter of the portfolio. Okay. Um, now, other parts of the portfolio, uh, we make that that um, uh, that sort of, uh, I won't say arbitrage, but basically we um, agree to be sort of second in line because we know we're still an incredibly secure position. Mm. Um, and there's a kind of misalignment in pricing or uh, because of um, you know, just the market is just not as well informed um, where we can make um, outsized, uh, outsized returns uh, for the risk that we're taking. So, you know, we're in the business of, of getting paid for the, risk, for the risk that we're taking. First, That's the first, second, third principle in every investment that we do. I think the one big the one things... there is that equity sits right at the bottom too. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the equity stack below you, right? Um, and 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 in in the overwhelming um, cases, um, and March and April was a classic example, is that equity will typically always heal the structures. Okay, so um, most of the ASX listed corporates, literally all of them, um, oh, I'd say more than half raised equity during that period, just to take credit risk off the table. Um, you know, Intertech Pivot was a classic example, which would be a name that is familiar to a lot of people. Um, you know, we were buying that um, at uh, a distressed yield of an excess of 5%, right, back in March, April. Yesterday, they, they went and um, uh, they announced their results, uh, reasonably steady results from a credit perspective, um, and they've gone and tendered the bonds at at 2.1%, right? Then we bought it at 5% in March, April. And, and even up until yesterday, it was still trading at 2.5% um, at yield. Mm. So, I mean, this, this is the kind of work that we do every single day in a portfolio concept, uh, context. You've got 
um, significant diversity and you're literally trying to find the pockets of, that provide that kind of defensive income and overall add to a very defensive portfolio. So, so something that we um, learnt many years ago is that for credit managers, and we kind of learnt this off a distressed credit manager, that every credit line, every instrument is fundamentally different from the next instrument. So due diligence into each and every investment that you make is really, really important. So where do you rank? How does it get triggered? What's your rights? Is that, so that's kind of knowledge, right? Unique knowledge. It's not like you can just pick up a ASX research report, read 300 words and and you get what the company does or where you rank because you're just equity. When you're dealing with credit and debt, there's so many of these instruments and understand no one publishes the credit stack or the capital stack. Then, you know, you've been in it for a long time. As Drew said, you're a lifey. Do you have a team around you that does all this due diligence on each and every investment that you make? Um, how do you, how do you approach that? Do you have a team of lawyers that help you out or, or is it pretty vanilla in the Australian market where you're investing into kind of mainstream credit? Well, um, it's, um, uh, it, it depends on what you're looking at and which segment of the market. So obviously we've got, a, uh, we specialize in Australian domicile credit overall. And we've got access to multi-sleeves to play in. Um, obviously some are a bit more complex than others. Um, so it's really a horses for courses. So yeah, we do have in-house legal and we use them when we're required. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, in terms of due diligence, um, it really depends on what you're looking at. So if you're looking at investment grade corporate that, that meets your return hurdle, um, in most cases that doesn't require as much due diligence as say something that's uh, sub-investment grade or more structured or has um, a first lien mortgage over it. Um, so it really depends on what you're looking at. So yeah, it, it, yeah, really. I mean, you know, I am a lifer. Um, uh, Twenty years um, of, of doing nothing but analysing credit and and the, and the varied structures. Um, it's a specialised skill set. No question. It's because it's contract, isn't it? When you when you have a loan, you have a contract. Whereas when you buy a stock, you just own a stock that someone else can can trade with you. Yeah, you've got you've got terms. Um, you've got terms that um, that need to be abided by, um, and those terms can vary significantly. Um, and what's important is that if you're giving up something and loosening a term for the corporate, you've got to make sure you're getting paid for it, one. Uh, and two, you've got to make sure that you've still got, you're still buying a defensive position, okay? Um, there's, there's, there are, um, from time to time, investments offered up in the fixed income world that um, pretend to be credit, but if you look underneath the hood, um, it's kind of equity risk. Um, so they're trying to hoodwink you in, in getting paid a fixed income return for, for taking, taking on significant equity risk. And that's, they're not deals that we want to do and we don't do I think maybe a reasonable question would be what's, what's your target income uh, or target return for the portfolio and what's it, what's it yielding at the moment? Yeah, so um, currently it's, it's yielding um, about 3.7%. Okay. So the target is to earn 300 basis points over cash. Cash is zero. <laughs> um, cash is effectively zero. Um, so, I mean, obviously we are targeting those that try to get a portfolio blend of assets um, anywhere from, say, roughly, say, 200 basis points over to, you know, four to 500. Uh, at all times being very discerning what goes into the portfolio um, and making sure that we're getting paid the risk we're taking. Right. It's almost a dividend yield on a bank, but with some security or, or preferential treatment in the event of a default of any of these companies is what you're getting. Without the capital risk. Yeah, without, yeah. Yeah, yeah correct. So you're effectively getting a, getting a bank divvy right now and um, without the capital risk associated with banks. Now, you know, I mean, I'm not a bank equity analyst, but um, given where, um, you know, bank, where basically overall yields are now, where the cash rate is right now, uh, obviously you have bank profitability um, now and going forward isn't what it was in the health days. Right? Yeah. So it kind of lends itself to, to even say bank credit with the, uh, you know, uh, being actually more attractive than bank dividends right now. Yeah, let's that, banks that, That's the important thing that you were trying to say, Drew, is essentially if you've got a bank uh, equity and everyone for the last 10 years, if you're retired, you've owned banks because of the dividends. When they want to cut the dividends, they can just cut it 
100% and you don't get a dividend. But when you have a credit instrument against a bank or something else, then they're contracted to pay each quarter or each half year. And if they don't pay you the dividend, then essentially you're, they're in default and they've got a whole heap of serious issues. So for retirees that are essentially looking for not just the amount of income, but the security of income, then credit has really interesting fundamentals that should be considered when building a retiree portfolio. Yeah, well, I mean, you won't get me disagreeing with that, obviously, but um, uh, you do have that, <laughs> that you do have that equity piece that protects you, right? Yeah. So you know, um, banks are reducing dividends for a reason. I mean, they're obviously trying to make sure that they they remain very well capitalised during this period. Um, and they're trying to remain well, by remaining well capitalized, it means they're protecting the position of credit holders above the equity position. Okay. So across all of, of the bank capital stack, um, equity is basically nourishing and supporting the tier one securities, the tier two securities, and bank senior. Right? So um, we are, have a lot more, a lot of security by the fact that they're um, retaining cash. I think we're, we're about to tick over to 11 o'clock. I had a query around how important credit rate or external credit ratings are to your decisions, or mm -hmm. do you have kind of overlay that with your own internal? Uh, so, so maybe yeah. think about that, Phil. Um, it's, <laughs> so we've got 10 seconds. We're going to just spend uh, a minute silence paying our respect for the fallen. Um, and uh, we'll be back in a minute and Phil can answer that question starting now. Thanks everyone for doing that. Obviously, uh, we live in an incredibly lucky country where lots of men and women have gave their lives uh, over the last uh, hundred years, especially World War One. World War One. Um, so, Phil, and back onto it. Us answer that question. So, um, obviously, we, we use multiple sources. Uh, so, external ratings are, are helpful, uh, um, you know, whether it be S and P, movies, or Fitch. Uh, but primarily, we do our own internal credit work. Okay. Yep. So I've discussed before that we have an 18 person investment team that does nothing but understanding Australian fundamental, fundamentals um, of corporates, um, banks, uh, asset banks, RMB structures, you name it. Um, and that's, that's incredibly powerful. We, we um, model uh, 100 um, listed and unlisted issuers in the market um, on an ongoing basis. Uh, which provides us a, a, a really strong template in which to understanding where um, the poor value is and where the really good value is. Uh, and, 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 we, and we do that um, constantly. So uh, constantly updated through reporting seasons and any events that, uh, that meaningfully change our views. So you'd look at like what an A-rated bond should be paying, compare it to what the company is doing, find out what the reason is, and you almost see an yeah. arbitrage if, if you expect it to be upgraded or if it's giving too much of income for the, the amount of capital risk that you think is there. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately for us, um, you know, the March-April example is classic where um, you know, effectively uh, a lot of issuers that uh, had some COVID clouds around them, which we knew would, would basically be healed over, over time, um, you know, the REIT space, for instance, or, um, or the airports, um, obviously a very disruptive year and, and problematic, but one that um, has been borne by equity, right? Not correct. Something we, yeah, we saw in the Not preference correct. share market right. as well, where the preference shares fell incredibly quickly, but also snapped back. To yeah. The, to their previous, right. the spreads snapped so what, back quickly. What drives yeah. all that, Phil? Uh, so look, March April was uh, was that uh, once in a you know a ten twelve year event. I guess I've seen two of them. Um, yep. So the GFC and uh, and and this one here in terms of the pandemic. Um, I, I definitely think that the sell down in bank credit basically was a reflexive from investors who basically um, remembered back to the GFC and thought that it was going to play out the same way. That certainly wasn't our view. Um, and we were actively buying during that period. Um, from our perspective, you know, regulators have done nothing but clean up bank balance sheets for a better part of 10 years uh, to the point where they would be able to withstand a period like this quite easily, and that's exactly what happened. Banks have absolutely loaded with liquidity. They've got absolute, so much liquidity, it's ridiculous. Um, you only look at, uh, like, 11am rates are effectively zero right now, and in terms of the cash rates that we get from 
uh, for investing in, in, um, in short-term securities in terms of the banks. Um, you've got bank senior spreads are the lowest they've been to 2007. So um, the banks have just loaded with liquidity and hasn't been a credit issue at all. And it's just been a, a fantastic source of return for portfolios. So I, I, think, I think one of your questions you guys had before was talking about um, bonds selling off. I don't think I really covered that in terms of um, duration. Is that a flood of, flood of sellers or people just wanting cash? Well, yeah, you know, effectively you had the vaccine um, issue, so effectively oh, risk on. Yeah, so yeah. the risk on. And, um, but what it, what it does point to is, is the underlying risk in, in um, traditional fixed income portfolios with long duration, which I don't think investors uh, really understand the risk that's there. Um, there's not a lot of protection in those portfolios anymore. Um, and I think what you saw uh, last two nights is that uh, they lost point, lost 70 basis points in performance, the Bloomberg Composite this is, um, and, uh, and still only yielding roughly about 70 basis points overall. Yeah. Right. So you lost a year's full of, a year full of income in 10 Correct. minutes. Correct, yeah. Um, by contrast, we don't have any saturation. So we're not exposed to rates going higher. If anything, yep. um, our investors are actually insulated from that because the mm. returns actually go up as rates go up because we're floating yes, yeah. rate, right? So we all our straight duration is hedged. By comparison, um, those traditional managers have got, uh, that risk is actually growing because governments are actually issuing more and more longer data bonds and actually increasing the risk underlying those portfolios. That was a concept we discussed with uh, Franklin who have a short duration bond strategy mm. where you compare it to government bonds that have, they call it seven year duration or seven. So yeah. if interest rates go up 1%, they went up 0.7% or 0.2%. So 20% of the way there, uh, you can lose 7% of your capital in that. Yeah, correct. Uh, I, I, and I think that's poorly understood in some segments yeah. of the market right? in terms of the underlying risk and what they're looking at. So for clarification, Drew and I, uh, we our, our advice to our clients in the last 12 months is to basically cut duration to more or less zero or if not within within a year so yep um can you tell us about mortgage-backed securities there was a lot of conversation around gfc about mortgage-backed securities and it seems like any time that word comes up to our clients they get quite concerned and i understand within your portfolio you hold mortgage-backed securities yeah I look, they, they shouldn't be concerned um yeah i i think uh, in terms of the Australian market, the Australian housing market, um, there's there's significant difference between that and what your investors are, what our investors are, are actually worried about. And, and in terms of headline risk, going back to the GFC and predominantly the US housing market, it wasn't ever a, a dynamic of the Australian housing market. Their market is, is non-recourse, so you had uh, that thematic called Jingle Mail where people were posting their keys back in the US. That never happened in Australia. Um, our market is, is, is recourse and you've got mortgage insurance on top of that as well. Uh, it's a completely different dynamic. So the name is exactly what it is. It's a group of mortgage that's all packaged together and yeah. then, then you buy a, a pack of mortgages. Which... Let's, let, let's, let's put it into, um, uh, let's put a name to it. So someone like a Rams, for instance, Rams yep. Mortgage Homeowners, so it's probably one of, the, one of the more well-known mortgage originators outside of the major banks. Um, they would... Um, lend money to people wanting to buy houses. Yep. Okay. And then um, they would have uh, facilities in order to fund that. Um, and then over time, they would turn that out into the market and they would issue uh, residential mortgage-backed securities Yep. Okay. to investors such as us. Uh, and we would choose where to and how to participate. So you know, we would do our due diligence on the, on the originator and the servicer and make sure their track record is fantastic. Um, make sure we're comfortable with your ears, make sure we're comfortable with the portfolio. We get all the portfolio in terms of all the loans, where they are, uh, uh, so what, the, what the loan to value ratio is on those loans. Locations. Um, location, everything. So yep, um, yep. you can actually be quite um, forensic, yep. uh, and we are. Uh, and then we make an assessment in terms of where we want to be. Um, and I can tell you most of the assets that we're investing in at the moment are... Um, Investment grade, whether it be triple B or single A, so very strong investment grade security. Um, 
and we're getting paid you know, 350 to 400 basis points in credit margin. So yielding in excess of 4% in some cases. And what you'd need to see for us to, to, to be impacted, and these are prime mortgages. So these are the prime mortgages. These are not, yep. not performing anything, full employment history, you name it, right? The works. Um, you'd need to see default rates at 10 times more than, than at, at the historical peak, right? Uh, and you need to see, also need to see house prices in capital cities, in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, decline by 30 to 35% before you're impacted. Now, that to me seems incredibly improbable. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get in a pandemic, so. It's... No, no. And, and um, you know, if anything, um, you know, I sort of thought as most times this year that the Melbourne property market, given how badly we've been impacted over the last six months, could decline by this time next year by about 10%. Um, 10 to 15, but you know, nothing like what we'd need to see in order to suffer any kind of repayment. Right? And it's just a great source of return, uh, defensive income for clients. The other thing that's interesting through this pandemic is that the net saving rate at household level has actually ballooned from about 4%, e.g. each household on average saves 4% of their gross income to about 25 or 26%. Of course, they're not spending on retail or overseas trips, but it actually puts a lot of mortgages in a better position than they were just six months ago. Absolutely, yeah. And we've got a government that's really stepped up to the plate and provided the support required, which sort of comes back to the quick fire question to start when we talked about... um, which, which part of, of the world is, is most prospective from our, you know, and it, it sort of goes towards, towards Australia having the means um, to kind of support growth and kind of limit the downsides overall. So how many, port, how many instruments in your portfolio, Phil, if a client buys in, how many uh, exposures are they getting? And, and what, are the be- what are the top two or three biggest exposures that you own? Yeah, so um, we've got um, overall we've got roughly about 40 securities right now. Yep. Okay. So, um, you know, yielding roughly about 3.7%. Um, and we're across, across the whole gamut of Australian credit. So, um, RMBS, ABS, uh, bonds, FRNs, um, hybrids, uh, effectively, and a bit of private debt. So, effectively, wherever we see value, where we yep. think we're getting paid for the risk adjusted, risk for the risk that we're taking. Um, there's a fair chance that we'll invest. Uh, and we'll do it in a diversified manner, such that you get this kind of diversified blend. Um, the securities are actually sized for the risk that you're taking. Um, okay. So, you know, the, high, the, the better the risk, the, the greater the, 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 the allocation to the issuer. That's um, on a risk return. Versa. That's on a risk return perspective, right? So you yeah. might see, yeah, it's not just on the risk. So you don't hold, no. if you think it's got great risk return characteristics and the market's yeah. not pricing it, you'll hold more of that. Yeah, but we've also got guidelines that we stick to as well, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and there... the fund's liquid as well. So, if a client wants to get out of it tomorrow, they can? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, daily redemptions are payable in 19 business days. Yep. Great. Mm-hmm. And what are the top few holdings? And we've got a few stocks. Let's talk about the actual investments. We've got yeah. David Jones, Next DC, and Australian Prime Property mm-hmm. Fund. But maybe just start with your largest couple of holdings that you hold at the moment. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Uh, or, or just go straight into those three if you like. I can't remember exactly which one. Yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, David Jones, for instance, and, um, you know, we get a lot of clients who uh, hear about David Jones and, and they get concerned, um, quite rightly, because, you know, it's, it's a department store retailer and they haven't exactly set the, set the lights out uh, over the past you know, five to 10 years. But, you know, the important thing to note about the David Jones security is, is, um, is that uh, we only bought in because we're in a senior secured position. We have a, a mortgage over the property, okay, yeah. on a very low LVR. Um, it's that's, currently... it's currently, Burke Street, is it? Street um, so the Burke Street Mall, Market Street in Sydney and a distribution centre in Tragonina in, in Victoria, which I doubt many people have been to. Um <laughs> I've been here a couple of stock games, but it's been. Um, <laughs> so, so they to pay, you can call, you and the other lenders can call on, on the assets. Well, we can take control of the asset and sell them and yeah. pay ourselves back. So, you know, the, the, the larger value ratio on that is, is, is 35% of the property value. So there's absolutely no issue 
Um, yep. And, and we, that, that asset is yielding 5.25% and is currently marked at 94 cents in the dollar in the portfolio. So it's not um, valued appropriately. But here's a clincher, is that um, David Jones is looking to sell the Market Street store in Sydney. Um, and they've gone into an exclusive charter hall retail on that. Um, selling that asset would mean that we get paid at, at par um, early next year. So we'll get 100 bucks back early next year. So it'll be quite a, quite a capital windfall coming from that security. Um, so you buy it at yeah, 94. Just the future. You buy it at 94. If that happens, you'll get $100 back. Correct. Um, it's yielding 5.75% per annum on the face value of 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that, that's the type of thing. And yeah. if everything went bankrupt, everything went pear-shaped, they would have to sell their assets and they would have to sell them for you to sustain a loss. They would have to sell their assets at a 70% say 65% discount yeah. to, to, for you to lose any money. And it's just, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's yeah. just not going to happen. So, what rating? Yeah. What, what rating? Is that so, so the David Jones security we rated um, with that first lien mortgage, because given, given that we had security to property, it actually uplifted the rating. So it, yeah. it got up to a triple B minus, which was, uh, which was investment grade. Investment grade, yeah. So yeah, yeah yielding 5.25% investment grade security. For us, for us, it was, it was, was, was once we got that security, um, it, was, it certainly made the made it more than investable and it got into the portfolio. And there are restrictions on what the whole portfolio has to be average investment grade, but you yeah, can hold yeah, some. Yeah. So, so we below. So we aim for um, an average investment grade rating. Um, currently, the portfolio is rated um, above. Um, so triple B minus is the lowest investment grade rating. The portfolio is actually rated above that. It's rated triple B flat. So it's one yeah. notch above that. Um, and uh, still managing to yield, you know, 3.7%, yeah. Yeah. despite being uh, relatively high quality. Um, we do have exposure to, to high yield, and that's uh, roughly around, around 30% right now. Um, and, uh, and we have a maximum hard limit uh, of no more than 45% of AUM. And the difference between a sub and, a, and an investment-grade company isn't very much, is it? It's just... Maybe yeah. it could be a time, a timing of their review by a credit rating agency, or well, it, it really, it really depends on what you're looking at. So, yeah. um, you know, some securities can be sub because uh, they're lower up, they're lower than the capital stack, as um, as Jamie talked about before. Um, some yeah. might be that they just uh, you have a bit more, bit more debt, um, or they're in sectors that are a little bit more volatile. Um, but you know, you just have to be more discerning. Um, yeah. You have to be more discerning and just pick the eyes out of that market and make sure that what you are buying. You're comfortable with that you're getting paid for the risk you're taking and you've got um, um, a very defensive position to defend right um, and you also you, you size those securities appropriately so they, they have they have generally had less you have less exposure to those names on an individual basis the next one we had here is next dc yeah so next dc is a, a fantastic story from our perspective that's one of those issuers that are selling investment growth um, uh, and it's, it's, it's been a, a fantastic source of return for us. So they, um, they're a uh, data distribution uh, center uh, operator. So they've got um, all these data centers based around the major capital cities of Australia where um, people such as ourselves and maybe yourselves have got um, server equipment based in, the, in, in, in their, in their um, facilities, um, very specialized. So they've got... Um, um, like, a, like an Amazon or a Microsoft? It would use, would use their facilities. They would put their, their server equipment in there because they're guaranteed of, um, of no disruptions, effectively. So these are specialised buildings that have got uh, uh, redundancy in relation to power um, and also around um, you know, fire, things like that. So it's just, just ensured security yep. of, of, of that equipment. Um, and um, because of this pandemic as well, I mean, that, they've actually been a net beneficiary of the pandemic, uh, given all our moves to work from home uh, and the burn in online. It's actually been quite um, um, well established, but um, sort of reinforced by this pandemic. Um, so and in addition to that, they've been, they've been uh, heavily, heavily building out new facilities and putting them on balance sheet. And the reason why the sub-investment grade is because they're sort of going through this heavy growth phase. So, so the, so the debt is, is, is probably a, a tad higher than a little bit and, and the cash flow is growing, but still at, at a relatively low level. Um, so long story short, uh, double B rated security, um, yielding 
you know, between three and a half and four percent. Um, and uh, with the callable nature on the bonds, the bonds have been called now because um, uh, and the bonds have been called at 101.25. So we've actually picked up a dollar and 25 cents in the bonds when they've been called early. Uh, and we're getting our money back in, in early December. So on March of December, we're getting our money back. And I'm sure they'll come back in some way, shape or form. Um, very capable management team. Um, and uh, once again, when that new investment comes on board, we'll look at it on its merits and make sure that we're, um, we're getting paid for the risk that we're taking and it's still a, a credit style security. Basically, every time they go to market for more equity, they get as much as they want, don't they? To, well, to help fund their expansion as well, which is always good from a debt perspective. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about it, during March, April, I mean, we, we bought um, next DC at a 10.8% yield from a, a distressed seller. And, and now we're getting 100 bucks back. So we bought it at 92 and we're getting paid $100 um, on the 9th of December. Right? So, <laughs> unbelievable return. Um, and, and, and in addition to that, they went and raised equity um, to um, deliver their balance sheet probably two weeks after we, we, we bought that at 92. Um, tell us a bit more about the Australian Prime Property Fund. Okay, so um, that's an interesting interesting name. Um, effectively, you had obviously retail, everyone understands in terms of retail property that they've got some structural issues. With the pandemic, that's sort of exacerbated a bit. Um, with um, AWPF, we've also got issues around um, unlisted uh, unit holders or equity, effectively wanting to redeem out of that structure. So uh, what that led to was basically spreads pushing out significantly on the credit, thinking that there was a potential impairment issue. That's not the case. So uh, we are protected by a covenant, an LVR covenant, which which uh, prohibits uh, the the manager from increasing gearing above thirty percent. So, so we're talking about shopping centre assets here, regional and sub-regional shopping centre assets. Now, um, if, you're, if you've got an LVR of 30% and the manager can't go above that, then um, you know, you, 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 you're pretty, you're protected, you're significantly protected from any kind of impairment. Any impairment that's going to occur, that has occurred in terms of valuations, is borne by equity and equity only. Now, we're getting paid uh, you know, a yield, once again, of, uh, akin to roughly around 3.5% in that security. Um, for taking virtually no risk, no, purely protected by those assets. So um, certainly you know, we think there is a process to go through in terms of uh, retail valuations coming back to something akin to the new normal, um, especially given that um, a lot of us are buying more stuff online. Um, but none of us are saying that those valuations are going to decline by 70%. It's just not going to happen. Of course. No? So the backstory there is like the, it's the industry, a number of industry funds, isn't it? The investors in this that lend lease managers a portfolio on behalf of them, and you've lent yeah. uh, this. This security is lent to help fund a portion of that, uh, and they, for for some reason, they want to cash up at probably the worst time to sell property in, in, since the GFC. Um, maybe they're overstretched. There's too much unlisted in other parts. Is it the industry um, funds? It's a rebalance, yeah. right? So yeah, if you yeah. so equities so, are falling. You know, I mean, from their, that's, that's, that's their perspective and they make their decisions from the equity perspective. But from us, I mean, we kind of, um, I won't say put the blinkers on, but kind of be able to separate that from that and understand exactly our position, um, where the credit sits, uh, and then obviously looking at the return and saying, well, are we getting paid for that risk? Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yeah. Yes, so we so are. We it does, it reiterates yeah. that, that you as the debt holder are basically in control, doesn't it? Yeah, in this case, yeah, absolutely. And that's why we've invested. If we weren't in control or we didn't think that we that, that we, thought, we thought there was any kind of chance of impairment, we wouldn't have invested. Yeah. Also shows oh. you need to uh, invest when there's opportunities. So the pension funds were constrained because they had to stay within a strategic asset allocation. Obviously, markets fell off substantially. So there was an obligation on them and their trustees to rebalance. A part of that rebalance was to sell down property because it hadn't fallen as far as equities. And that led to natural market opportunities which gives groups that are more nimble like yours the ability to pounce and and, and buy good investments yeah and, and, and we see that as our competitive strength here right. a very large opportunity set um really strong in, in, in understanding fundamental research and understanding where value is um, yep. and investing accordingly 
Now, we talked about the crisis to now and how things have kind of uh, come back. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the future? Because, you know, we're all invested in your fund and we want to make uh, some money over the next 12 months. So w- w- what does credit look like over the next 12 months, do you think? Look, from our perspective, um, we see uh, overall uh, saying that credit remains attractive and some segments remain fair. Um, when you look at overall um, yields being as low as they are, uh, we talk about the cash rate, we talk about terms of deposit rates, uh, that's only going to be supportive for credit going forward. Yeah. Uh, as a credit manager, to, I, I never say no to earning some sort of capital return from spreads decline, but I'm very happy when spreads just remain where they are and just keep clipping that carry. Um, and, and I think the prospect of that going forward is, is, is pretty high. Um, if you look at across you know, several segments of the market, whether it be uh, investment grade corporates, um, high yield names, bank credit, uh, RMBS and ABS, all of them have, have claims to, um, at the very least, uh, remain static, if not keep compressing given the, the overall spreads, overall yields are so low. Got it. You think well, the majority of returns will come from income over the next next few years? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen a bit of capital since March, April, you expect that, but yeah, I'd expect over the, uh, probably going into, into next year, it's going to be certainly more about income being a driver as, yeah. as, um, as spreads compressed to a level that uh, they're sustainable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Great, Phil. Um, on behalf of Waddle Partners, all our listeners, Drew and I, thanks for spending the last hour rather than staring at on screens uh, with us. It's been mo- most it's, enjoyable and hopefully educational for the listeners. So it's thanks, uh, been very enjoyable. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem. For the listeners, next week uh, we have GQG Partners, a relatively new equity manager. Um, uh, they will be talking about the resilience of global equities over the last six months, and they'll also be talking about what opportunities present themselves in emerging markets. Markets, Please enjoy Please join us next Wednesday. Uh, Drew, thanks for your time. Phil, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jamie and Drew. Thank you. See you guys. See you guys.